0: morning, Luke chapter 15, starting verse 1, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angel of God over one sinner who repents. Let's pray again. Father, we just pray over this passage of Scripture, Lord. We pray that you would minister to us what each person needs. Lord, if someone's here and doesn't know you, they are a lost sheep that you would bring them into the fold of salvation. And Lord, for those of us that know you, Lord, that we would uh, understand more of your character, and Lord, we would be able to present it to a lost and dying world. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This, uh, this chapter, and then we'll, uh, we'll be looking at next week, uh, the parable of the lost son or the prodigal, you're probably familiar with uh, that term. Uh, This chapter, this chapter 15, is considered one of the most beloved chapters in all of the Bible, Uh, and with good reason, because uh, when when we read the Scriptures, we want to see things that actually bring us comfort and actually help us to understand, wow, God really does love with a selfless, agape love. Uh, Our love is so conditional, and and God uh, looks beyond where we're at and sees all the flaws and all the issues and all the things that we bring to the table, which is nothing really good. And yet, He still loves us anyway. You ever have you ever really seen sheep up close? If you go down to Williamsburg uh, in Colonial Williamsburg, they have these uh, little enclosed area with the sheep. Has anyone seen them? They are some of the dirtiest things you will ever see. They really do rival pigs. I know that pigs were uh, on the uh, uh, not do not eat menu in in the Hebrew diet uh, there in the Old Testament. But but sheep are some really dirty. I mean, they got all this stuff matted on them and mud and all kinds of other things just kind of hanging off there. And um, and you're looking at them and you're like, wow the picture of this little white fluffy thing just never seems to be a a genuine picture of what sheep actually look like. And they don't smell good either. They look as bad uh, as they smell. They're kind of cute and away from a distance, and then as they get closer, you're like, wow. Uh, uh, We actually look good from a distance too sometimes, don't we? (laughs) Physically and spiritually, definitely spiritually. Some of you probably look great in person, but uh, really up close. But you know, the uh, closer I get to the mirror, I start to see, wow, it's definitely been a long time since, uh, since I looked like I was 20-something. But, uh, but the sheep, um, they're, they're a representation we find throughout the Scriptures. Uh, you're, you're probably familiar with it, oftentimes, the sheep are referred to as the saved and Jesus being the shepherd. But not always. In this particular case, uh, the sheep are kind of representative of all people. Uh, meaning that all sheep are dirty Uh, and the coins are somewhat representative of all the coins have the same denomination as you notice they're just there there's no difference in the denomination I don't care if the coin is a little scuffed up or it's right fresh off the mint one quarter is no better than the other quarter true they can look similar I mean uh, as far as the denomination will be the same Uh, but one can be really shiny but there's no increased value a quarter is a quarter a penny is a penny uh, unless they're collector's items But i'm talking about just your run of the mill and that's uh, again another example of what we are uh, but also we'll look again uh, as we get a little further into the study that there is some value attached and we want to understand that as well but if you're taking notes this morning i've titled our time in god's word the value of one the value of one one can have a lot of value, can't it? You know, one, one vote can have a lot of value. Uh, one, extra, one extra dollar, when it's not in your pocket, can have a lot of value, right? When you're like, man, hoping the person behind you would spring for it or something like that. But uh, one can have a lot of value, and certainly when it comes to God, it does. And we'll look at three things this morning uh, from the text this morning. One man, one mission and one marvel, one man, one mission, and one marvel. I think you probably know the man that we want to look at first here. It says in uh, chapter 15 that all the tax collectors and the sinners, um, notice the tax collectors get thrown, and they get their own special designation. Yeah, I know the IRS, uh, <laughs> tax collectors and sinners. Uh, even way back when, no one really has ever liked the tax collectors, right? Uh, but uh, it was even worse in those times uh, You know, the Jewish, we've talked about this before if you've been in our study in Luke, but, uh, you know, there was nothing worse to a devout Jewish person than a Jewish tax collector collecting taxes on behalf of Caesar, on behalf of Rome. Uh, They considered Rome to be infidels and pagans, and they were. I mean, the Romans were were pantheists. They worked with multiple gods, just like the Greeks did, just like the Egyptians did. Uh, so they were uh, pantheistic in their uh, in their worship and, and and their idolatry, and of course they had all the immoral practices uh, that were taking place in Roman cities, and uh, and so to represent Rome as a tax collector uh, was like a sinner squared in their mind. It was just exponentially bad. Uh, but again, as these uh, these tax collectors and sinners and uh, sinners that would be commonly seen in the ministry of Jesus, maybe they were in uh, you know, some form of uh, adultery, or the, maybe they were in uh, some form of prostitution. Jesus ministered to many people who would be uh, considered in the rough areas uh, of, of communities, and yet uh, maybe they had addictions, maybe they were alcoholics, all these things, the things that were visibly... Uh, especially compared to the law, because the Ten Commandments are pretty clear, aren't they? That these, these type of things are sin. And so Jesus would gather people, uh, regardless of what their issues were, and he would begin to teach. And they all drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes are looking on, looking at this. And Jesus is the one man, is the one man that understands Christian All sinners need to hear. It says they all drew near to hear him. All the tax collectors and sinners, at least that were in that particular area. This isn't all the tax collectors and sinners in the world, and certainly not all the tax collectors and sinners uh, in Judea at the time or Galilee, but uh, these are the ones that were in the area when Jesus was, and they all gather, and he's the one man every sinner needs to hear. So many people don't know or realize that the best thing they possibly can do is what these people did is turn everything else off and go and listen to Jesus. So many people today, just just today, this very Sunday, if they would turn off the TV set, put the newspaper down, turn off the smartphone, and go find a Bible-teaching church, not just this one, there's others out there, and go hear the Word of God, it's the one thing they really need, but they don't know it. Remember, God said, and the Mount of Transfiguration to the three disciples that were there with Jesus, they said, this is my, he said, this is my son, hear him, Luke 9.35. God was saying, there's only one man you really need to hear, and it's my son. The Pharisees, of course, well, they needed to hear Jesus too, didn't they? Not just with their ears, because they did listen to him at times, trying to figure out a way to trap him, or what is he going to say, something they could find fault with, but they needed to be listening to him with what? The heart. See, the Pharisees and the religious leaders that rejected Christ, they were self-insulated and self-deceived in believing that they were religiously pure. They thought they were religiously pure. They didn't think they were perfect, but they thought their religious purity was tantamount to perfection. And yet they wouldn't say they were perfect, but they thought they were religiously pure. And they thought everyone else was what? Unclean. Nasty, dirty sheep. They were the white, fluffy ones. (laughs) They were convinced of their own purity. And they divided people into two categories. They really did. If you were back in ancient times... Everyone was divided into two categories, not just in their minds, but in society. That was the way it ran in the towns and villages. Two categories. You had the unclean and the righteous. The unclean and the righteous. And they refused to have any contact with those they deemed unclean, and not just unclean spiritually, but again, if, if they were unclean, hadn't proper washing. Of course, lepers had... You know, even under the law they had to have their own leper colonies and you had all the but again it was it was making sure that righteous, clean were in one group, unclean, dirty, filthy, disease, sinners, and tax collectors all over here. So for Jesus to interact with unclean sinners was in their minds the complete opposite of what a righteous leader sent by God would do. They could not conceive that Moses would have done this. Moses would have never done this. If you would have asked them, would Moses meet? Of course he would not. He gave us the law. Did you not read Deuteronomy and Leviticus? He would never touch these things. He would never come anywhere near these people. And so they complained. Uh, The actual full meaning of the the word complain here is they murmured greatly. Now, you remember how much God enjoyed when they murmured in the wilderness? It cost them 40 years. They all died in the wilderness. They murmured greatly. Unlike the God they claimed to serve and the Son of God who was in their midst, they had no compassion on people, no mercy, no understanding of people that were under the weight of sin and shame. You know, we can look on at people that are in sinful things. You know, the vast majority of young women that are in the pornography industry, or that are in uh, trafficking that's taking place in the United States and the rest of the world, do you know the vast, vast majority of them were abused when they were young? The vast majority of them were abused. They're under guilt. They're under shame. Now, is what they're doing right? No. In many cases, of course, they're under slavery. That's not even something that they want to be doing. They would get out if they could. They would, if Jesus would liberate them, they'd be glad to take it. But again, the ones that are not enslaved to it, still are under bondage and shame, and a lot of it goes back years. And Jesus was the one, he came to people like the woman at the well. She was so full of shame, right? And he, he was the one that actually pulled people out of these things. Uh, people that have committed uh, you know, all kinds of sin that no one else knows about. They walk around with that. When we go into the youth correctional facilities. I don't know what crimes the kids I'm sitting across the table have committed. I know some of them. But I don't know most of what they've committed. But I talk a lot to them about it, said, I know you carry guilt, and I know you carry shame. And almost every time, if the Spirit is moving in that room, I get this. A head nodding yes. See, Jesus knows that. When he looks at people that are in sin, they're in gangs, they're in this, they're in that. He recognizes, yeah, but... They're not at peace. And I've come to bring peace. He's called the Prince of Peace. They had no, but the Pharisees, they had no compassion. They had no understanding. They didn't understand uh, or care that people were under the weight and bondage of sin. They didn't realize that even tax collectors that were just trying to make ends meet really didn't love that they were hated by their fellow Jewish brethren. Their complaint, the Pharisees' complaint against Christ, the way they complain against Him, it's also an indictment. It's meant to do what? It's meant to cast doubt on the character and really, was Jesus really sent from God? That's the kind of doubt they're casting among, not so much the sinners and those that are, they almost don't really care that much about them, although they do care that, that Jesus is gathering large crowds, but Really, the the others in the community that are under their control, they want to cast out. Is he really sent from God? Would any prophet of God really act the way he's acting? Would he really interact with the unclean? They weren't content with their own disdain for Christ, but they were constantly seeking to influence others, particularly those that were Jewish and good standing. How to influence them to make sure they understood this guy? is not the real deal. He's not who you think he is. He's a fraud. He's a fake. He's not sent from God. Not much has changed 2,000 years later when you think about it. The disdain for Christ continues, doesn't it? In many different forms. Ultimately, the enemy orchestrates a nonstop push to discredit Christ even in our day today, doesn't he? constantly discrediting christ or trying to you can't really discredit christ you can try it's like saying i'm going to stop the sun from shining and try all you want as i covered my eyes yeah you didn't stop the sun from that you just covered your eyes jesus still shines forth you can't discredit him but the discredit campaign continues it's satan's continual effort to keep people from the one voice that they actually need to hear the one voice that speaks truth. The one voice that speaks life. The one voice that speaks with the counsel that everyone needs. You don't need my counsel. And I really don't need your counsel. We both need Jesus' counsel. Amen? It's the facts. That's the Word of God. That's not my opinion. My opinion doesn't matter. I, to, I tell people all the time when I witness people and, I talk, and I'm sharing my faith with them, I tell them, I said, you've got to understand, my opinion is meaningless, worthless pointless can i show you what the word of god actually says see they needed to hear from jesus but satan's continuing to try and discredit christ whether it's atheist college professors that are mocking and challenging the claims of christ in the scriptures and it's happening on college campuses all across the united states constantly whether it's false religions like the jehovah's witnesses or like the mormons that uh yes their people are sincere but they're sincerely wrong because they're following a different Jesus. They're following a Jesus that's been discredited and demoted to a lesser state than equal to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Hollywood movies, The Da Vinci Code, they seek to portray Jesus as fallen and just as fallible as any other person. And desiring the same, Jesus did not desire the same things you and I did. He was sent from the Father with a pure heart and pure desires. Satan still mocks and slanders Christ, but he uses people to do that work. He even tries to devalue Christ by people using Jesus' name as a curse word. It was just yesterday I heard someone say, my ears about burn off every time. I mean, it, not just Jesus, but Jesus Christ combined and with authority as a curse word. What is that meant to do? Well, Satan used it to discredit Christ. It's a real irony, though, because no one ever uses Muhammad's name to curse. No one ever uses Confucius's name to curse. No one ever uses Buddha's name to curse. No one even uses any kind of animal name or anything. They, they love to use God's name and Jesus Christ's name because it devalues and discredits. They don't know where that's coming from. It's our sin nature, and it actually comes from the enemy. But the other irony, even though no one ever uses these other religious leaders' names for cursing, and the people that use it don't follow Christ, and usually the most of the ones I've met are not genuinely, even people that go to church, generally. There's, there's exceptions to that, too. So why the use of the name? Because Satan's trying to always discredit it, devalue it. Put it on the same level as a curse word. The Bible calls it blasphemy, and God will not hold anyone guiltless who taketh his name in vain, or the name of his son in vain. And the other reason why, even though they devalue it, or think they're devaluing it, it, the name actually brings power. It actually, when someone says God's name is a curse word, or Jesus' name is a curse word, it actually adds an emphasis that saying Muhammad's name, his name is powerless. It doesn't really resonate. So on the one hand, Satan kind of wants to devalue it, but even the use of it shows people that they, deep, 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 deep in their heart, they know the name has power. Why not yell, Unicorn? Because they don't exist. It's this name that is powerful. One man's name, one man's name. People that don't have any idea about the ministry or life of Jesus Christ will use his name as a curse word. And at the same time they're trying to devalue, they're actually trying to access the authority of the name for emphasis. Quite an irony, isn't it? But Jesus gathers them all. And he begins to speak a parable to them because he knows their complaints. He knows their effort to discredit him. And he knows their lack of love and their real looking down their nose at these tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus begins to tell two different parables here. If you're taking notes, well, let's look at uh, this next point, one mission. So he tells these two parables. He begins speaking. Uh, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, loses one, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness? Well, anyone that in the Middle East in those times, uh, there was many shepherds. There still are in the Middle East, a lot of Bedouin tribes in, in parts of the Middle East. Uh, even when we were over in Israel, uh, if you go to the southern part of Israel down, uh, you get past uh, past in and down towards the Judean desert, uh, you'll still see shepherds and, and Bedouin tribes with, with both goats and sheep uh, together. And Jesus also talks about the dividing of goats and sheep. That's, again, uh, a picture. That sometimes sheep just represent uh, those that are saved, but not always. In this case, as I mentioned, uh, this is sheep kind of representative of all of humanity being sheep. And so they understood the concept of, of shepherds that... Uh, Uh, Every sheep was valuable. I mean, losing one sheep, uh, there's uh, a lot, uh, whether it be wool, whether it be meat, uh, there's uh, one sheep uh, is valuable. And if you could uh, put the sheep back in the sheepfold and lock up the sheepfold and go and find the other sheep, any good shepherd would do that. We know Jesus is called the good shepherd, and he would do that. And so he's speaking to them from a sense of, you know, culturally and from an occupational perspective, any good shepherd doesn't just, "Eh, it's just one sheep. One sheep become two sheep, become three sheep, become four sheep, become five sheep. "Eh, It's just one sheep. I'm down to 96 now. Right? No. Each sheep is valuable. And each sheep has to be understood that uh, they, they don't all act the same. Some sheep wander off more than others. The shepherd will kind of know, well, I'm pretty sure, whenever he wanders off, it's always into that thicket, that specific area. Uh, he knows how you and I, where we're prone to wander. You, know, you have areas that are different than me. You might have things that kind of, I'm not saying you're diving back into sin if you're a Christian here this morning, but just kind of the things that get you off track and, oh, I haven't seen my Bible in a while. Right? The things that get us off course, the things that cause us to wander, uh, Jesus knows that too. But again, that's more of his role as a shepherd to those that are saved. But here he's speaking to the lost world, to the sheep that have no shepherd. They've never come into the sheepfold in the first place. The rabbis believed That God would receive, this is what the rabbis believed in the time of Christ and prior to Christ. The rabbis in that day, they believed that God would receive those who sought his forgiveness if they sought it with great earnesty and great intensity. They thought, okay, God would receive someone who really has that fervency for repentance. God would receive someone like that. But Jesus communicates with this parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin as well. He communicates that God himself initiates it's God who initiates and seeks and searches for those that are lost in this world. Namely, that's everyone that's never surrendered to Christ as their Lord and Savior. You understand that? Jesus communicating that actually he it's the seeker. You've heard of the seeker-sensitive movement? It's been around for, I don't know how many, 30 years now or so. It's been largely unsuccessful in many respects. If you actually look at the, I've been reading, I've read, reading uh, not long ago some data reports from uh, one of the larger denominations, done a study on it. But God's seeker movement has been very successful because he is seeking the lost sheep. And the rabbis didn't see that as they didn't think that's something God, and their mind God kind of sits up here and if you come earnestly passionately I need repentance and you work your way to him then he would extend forgiveness. They don't see God as actually going into dark places to find lost sheep. But Isaiah 53 says all we like Sheep have gone astray. How many? All. All. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus wouldn't just come to seek the sheep. He would come to be the sacrifice for the sheep. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Pharisees, scribes, religious leaders, pastors, missionaries, evangelists, accountants, construction workers, doesn't matter what you do, bankers, stay-at-home moms, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now understand that part of what the Pharisees' complaint, part of their complaint was accurate. What do I mean by that? Well, the people that gathered to... Here, Jesus, they were sinners. All have sinned. All we like sheep have gone straight. That was actually accurate. They were accurate. Even if they were not seeing the mirror in front of themselves, they were still accurate to say all those people are sinners because that's a true statement. All those people were sinners. And of course, they were too. They needed to have a mirror in front of their face. They were sinners as well. Paul said in Romans 7, 18, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. This is after he's been saved for quite some time. All the people that were gathered to hear Jesus were lost sheep needing a shepherd. Jesus never corrects their assertion that he was meeting with sinners. He doesn't say, no, I'm not meeting with sinners. In fact, he actually enforces this because what does it say in verse 7 and verse 10? Likewise, we'll get to this in our last point. There's more joy in heaven over one what? Sinner. Says it two times. That's not all. Is that loving of Jesus to call us sinners? No, he's stating a fact. The fact is, you're right. All these people gathered to me are sinners. And in fact, any one of them that come. To faith, that's a really big deal in heaven. I'm getting ahead of myself for just a second, but I want to talk about the usage of the word sinner here. It's very important to understand that Jesus doesn't correct this aspect of what they said. He's correcting their understanding of how God views sinners. That makes sense? He does not correct them, and the use of the word sinner, the word, use of the word sinner is accurate. All those people listening to him, the tax collector, are all sinners. But their misunderstanding is how God views those sinners. And that's what he's correcting in the parable. See, Christ views sinners as needing a Savior. That's the way he views sinners. They need a Savior. They need someone to come and bridge the gap between their sin and certainty of hell and my Father in heaven. That's the way Jesus views sinners. It's the way God views sinners. For he so loved the world that he gave his son. John 3.16. See, Jesus views sinners as needing a Savior, but the Pharisees, they viewed sinners as someone needing condemnation from them. They needed to condemn them. They needed to separate from them. They needed to get nowhere near them. It's kind of hard to witness to people if you'll never get near them. Christian, you'll never be able to win someone who is in the bondage of Islam if you won't witness to someone who's in the bondage of Islam. Someone who's in the bondage of some sort of sin and they've been doing it forever, someone has to be loving enough and bold enough to say it. Well, Jesus says, look, you're right in one thing, they are sinners, but here's the thing that's going to help them, they actually recognize it. And that's why they're listening to me. And while you may hear me in your ears, your hearts are still hard toward the Pharisees weren't listening. By the way, this chapter confirms, it confirms that sin is still the issue in the entire world. Doesn't it? Sin is still the issue. It's not, I've mentioned some other religions this morning, it's really not the other religions. It's not the isms of the world. The isms of the world, communism, Mormonism, you name it, Hinduism, all of the isms of the world, they are are not the problem. Even churchism, because you can go to church your whole life and be lost. The isms aren't the issue, it's sin that's the issue. Sinners are what's mentioned a number of times here, because sin is always the issue. It was the issue in the garden, and it's the issue until God cleanses the entire earth at the end of the age, and all points in between every issue, countries, families, individuals, sin is always the issue. Did you know that the mention of sin has declined greatly in American pulpits in the last 30 to 40 years? Did you know many pulpits hardly, I mean, there's been studies done, hardly mention the word sin. If we don't mention sin, it's like a doctor never mentioning sicknesses. If we don't mention sin, there's no diagnosis and there's no need for a Savior. Amen? Sin is the issue. Jesus died for what? Sins. It's really an affront to the cross of Christ. If we as Christians, we as pastors, do not mention sin, it's the only reason Jesus came with sin. If there had never been sin in the garden... There would never be a need for a Savior because everyone would have still been in harmony with God. Does that make sense? So to stop mentioning sin is to stop indicating that people need what? A Savior. It's axiomatic. The Pharisees spoke often of their dedication to God Almighty, but Jesus communicates here the heart of God the Father, the heart of a shepherd that values every sheep. God would have sent his son even if it was just Adam and Eve. As a matter of fact, Adam and Eve thought that if you look at the text, they kind of thought with each son they had born that the Messiah was coming. But God was going to let many more people be born. But the heart of a shepherd values every sheep. Not that they have value, spiritually speaking, we as humans that are the sheep that Jesus is paralleling here, we as the sheep, we don't. Have value, God assigns us value. Isn't it interesting that God assigns mankind value? God gives us value. He created man in his own image according to Genesis. But the sin found in all of us, it causes men to place little or no value on one another. God places value on us, creates intimate, but men... Little or no value when they consider one another. Down through the ages, people from all ethnicities, I, I love to study history, doesn't matter where I study, all ethnicities, they've killed one another. All across the globe, every continent, every ethnicity, every skin color, they've sold each other into slavery. Go read the ancient text. Some of it, is just, it's just just—it's so hard to read, you'll actually get nauseous. Literally. They've violated and damaged young, impressionable lives by the millions. In this country, we've killed more than 54 or 55 million unborn babies. No value. We saw this past week in the news, so little thought of that they can actually casually discuss it as it's just any other topic. And we can sell it for profit. No value, little to no value. People are blinded to the reality that they're undervaluing, they're killing and corrupting souls. It's souls we're talking about here. Sin is a corruption of the soul. It's not a bunch of atoms and molecules of flesh and skin and blood and bone. It's an individual soul created and loved by God. C.S. Lewis said, Rightly so. You're not a body with a soul. You're a soul with a body. You're not a body with a soul. You are a soul with a body. When the body dies, the soul lives on. Jesus came to die for souls. Sinners that were, their souls were wandering sheep. And because mankind, the soul, the mind, and the body has been assigned by God as valuable, he sent his son Jesus to seek out and to save. In Luke 19.10, you know the passage, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father unless the Father has drawn him unto me. I know the morning, you've heard, heard my testimony, I know the morning I got saved, God was drawing me. It was Jesus seeking me personally. Now you can still reject. That doesn't mean he's not seeking you you can see, seek for people and call out and they can hide in the bushes but God is still seeking the Pharisees did not see God as seeking sinners at least not the really really bad I mean the really bad ones they're really unclean they're really immoral sinners they didn't think God would seek those kind of people Jonah didn't think that either Jonah thought those kind of people you drop fireballs on right God says I want you to go seek out the the people of Nineveh, the Assyrians. You mean the, the Assyrians that impaled people, the Assyrians that flayed people alive. Those Assyrians, you want me, those Assyrians that worship and have all kinds of immorality and they murder and kill and pillage villages, you want me to go and share your mercy with them. I thank God you've forgotten this whole clean, unclean thing. Those are the kind of cities, God, you incinerate. God says, those are the kind of cities I turn around i got to tell you, in my flesh, there are some things that are hard to look at certain sins that are committed on the world stage and me to have compassion, and yet I have to continue to return to the Word of God and say, I pray nevertheless as Jesus did. Many of your prayers, when you pray for people that have done heinous things, it's just a prayer of faith. I think I've, I haven't said it in a long time, but I remember uh, it's just as a way of illustration. I had a coworker when I lived in Charlotte. Uh, she could not stand me as a Christian. She, could, she just hated my faith in Christ. Very few people have ever hated me. I'm usually liked by everybody. Now, yeah, anyway, um, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but she, really, she was one of these people. I mean, I had an office of like 15, 20 other people that I interacted with a lot. I got along with all of them great, but this one lady could not stand my faith in Christ. And she let me know it in every way possible, in meetings, in innuendo, in facial expression, in body language, and going to my boss and stuff, every way. And I was not really liking her either at that point. I mean, I'm, I'm still a human being in flesh, and I'm trying to serve the Lord. I really didn't have a lot. I couldn't find myself feeling real soft, warm, lovey feelings either. And there's a part of me that would, in my past, let those kind of things be real clear. And I would just bridle the tongue under the Lord's help, and I would say, Lord, you know I don't really like her, but I'm going to pray for her anyway. And over time, the more times I prayed that way, I actually started to have compassion that I... I don't know where it came from. It's supernatural. It had it made no sense. I really started to have compassion. I started to see her in a pity way, not not a, not a pitiful way, but I really had genuine compassion. And the Lord eventually turned her a little bit and she actually started to warm up to me a lot. But not until I prayed and then my initial prayers were as dry as a bone. They, they, I was like, they, these feel like they're hitting the ceiling, making no sense. I, these, I don't really like her. And that, Lord, I'm praying that I would like her. And God changed it. Well, see, that comes from God because God has that love for sinners already. He doesn't have to pray for that. He always has that. And that's what he wants to pass on to us. That the Pharisees didn't have. They were always like that. They were always like Jonah. All Ninevites should be destroyed. They never saw... The gigantic planks in their own eye. Pharisees didn't see God as seeking sinners. How ironic that he was seeking them too. You know, even self-righteous people, God likes. He was seeking them too. We know this because in John 3, with a verse we love for God so loved the world, was who? Jesus was speaking to who? A Pharisee. Nicodemus came and that he was a Pharisee. God was seeking Pharisees too. In spite of their disdain for him, in spite of their trying to discredit him, he was still seeking them. But who had already sought Nicodemus out? God the Father, had drew him to Jesus in the middle of the night. It was God the Father that drew him there. It was the same words given to all the other Pharisees, but he finally listened at the heart level and listened and came. You know, in the, uh, she, in the Mid-East sheepfolds, there's a lot of shepherds would put their sheep in the same fold. So you would have maybe, let's say, a shepherd had 100 sheep, another shepherd had 200 sheep, Another they would put them in the same fold. They could all be in the same fold, but the sheep would know their shepherd's voice. And in the house of Israel, they were a picture of all the sheep in the sheepfold. But only, see, Nicodemus becomes a true sheep because he would then hear what? The voice of Jesus. And there'd be a lot of sheep in the fold. The other Pharisees were still lost, but he becomes a true follower. The same is true um, of of the the desire uh, we see in this woman. Uh, Just as Jesus seeks out uh, individual, every sheep matters, she speaks, uh, he speaks in this parable in verse uh, 8 of the woman with ten silver coins if she loses one. Look at the effort that takes place. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully? And Jesus is willing to go to the ends of the earth. You know, we see this happening today. We We know for certain. We've seen many testimonies of Hindus and Muslims. I've seen both those testimonies that actually have had visions. They've never met a Christian. They've never heard of a Christian. They've never read a Bible. And they've had visions. And they say, this Jesus, who is he? I need to meet him. And then when people come on the scene that are Christians, it's confirmed that God had already been reaching out to them before any other human contact. See, so God's revealing himself and revealing even his son to people in ways that you and I could never do. I can't get in people's dreams in another part of the world, but God's not limited. He's continuing to reach out. And this woman, she would, uh, said he would, she would light a lamp. What's this lamp? It's the gospel. The gospel is the only thing. When you have a dark room, sin speaking, darkness speaking, the world speaking, you light the lamp of the gospel, it actually shines light. We'll never find lost people without the gospel. If we water down the gospel, which is happening in many places around the world, especially here in the United States, there'll be no light. Try searching a dark room with no light. Say, instead of what I brought in was a candy bar. If if I find your mouth, you're going to love this. That's kind of the way, I'd rather have a flashlight. How about you? Any bar melting your hand after a while you keep holding that thing. But you know, you're, you're, trying to, you're trying to reach people. If I can find you with the light, I make sure we'll get you some food. But if I'm trying to find you with food, Jesus said, No, you've got to light the lamp. What, I, what Jesus would do and go into the world he was the lamp. He says, I am the light of the world. He is the one that's, and then when he comes into the world, he makes it clean. He sweeps the house. He searches carefully the recesses of the heart that are full of all kinds of things that need to be swept out. I think there's a parallel here for the church, too, in the, in the parable of the coin. Uh, it says the woman, what is the church? She's the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ would have the same heart as Jesus. We see it in the Proverbs 31 woman uh, that would rise and, and has the diligence to go and search and to seek out see a church that's not fulfilling the great commission what is it doing well it's not doing what jesus asked to do he said go into all the world seek out don't say uh, we will open up our doors and if you show up at 10 30 on sunday you know where to find us is that what he did No, Jesus went out into the highways and byways. He went into the villages. He sent his disciples out in the uttermost parts of the world. And you and I are supposed to be doing this as well. And you do it at your workplace. You do it wherever you go. You go to be a light, to shine a light. And as far as cleaning and sweeping, well, we don't really do that literally. The word cleans. The word has a purifying effect. When you give people the word of God, it does the cleansing. I don't clean people up, nor do you. I present Christ who cleans people up. Billy Graham said, We are stewards of the gospel to proclaim the greatest news in heaven and earth. It was not given to the angels. It was given to redeem men. Every Christian is to be a witness. Not everybody will get the platform that Billy Graham got, but everyone gets a platform for the gospel in their life. Place by place, person by person. Proverbs 11.30 says, and he who wins souls is wise. Romans ten fifteen says, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring the gospel of peace. Jesus is not just telling these two parables to lost sheep and lost coins. I believe he's also speaking to the church to be the ones that go find lost coins and lost sheep. It's also a message to us that are saved. That we are to be like our master. He was seeking the lost. We are to seek the lost. To have eyes that see people in a lost condition, have a compassion on that the Pharisees didn't have. I want to close with the last point this morning. Verses 7 and 10, beautiful verses, one marvel. Look what Jesus says. He gives us a window's view into heaven of what takes place. He draws the parallel that in the community, if this woman finds this coin, she throws a big celebration bring all the neighbors because she didn't have a lot of coin losing one of those 10 is a big per- losing 10 percent of your wealth i found it i lost i lost an heirloom that represented 10 percent of our retirement and i found it at minimum come over and have coffee right christians can do that you know there's certain things you might not want to celebrate with but coffee is okay get all loaded up on caffeine and enjoy each other's company, you know. <laughs> but if you gather everybody together, I lost a sheep. It's a celebration. Jesus says, you understand what it's like in human terms to lose something and how much joy it is when you find it. You didn't realize how much you cared about those eyeglasses until you couldn't find them for two hours, right? When did I even walk into that room? What, where was I on that corner of the room? You know, there they are. You walked in there. You're the one that put them there. You get them, you find great joy, in Jesus is in heaven. Likewise, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner. Not one really good person that was a great U.S. citizen. One sinner. Not one person who had a pretty good heart and helped with the United Way campaign. One sinner. Not one person who never cheated on their taxes and was as honest as uh, Abe or whatever. One what? Sinner. One sinner in heaven over 99 just persons. And really, here's the point. There are no just persons. Over 99 self-righteous people that thought they did not need to repent. That's a sad thing when you write. I meet people sometimes. I share the gospel and say, why don't you give your heart to Christ? I'm a good person. I don't need that. I mean, I've never done any crimes. I've never committed anything. I mean, yeah, but God knows the thought life you have. Do you understand his perfection? But his desire to, to give forgiveness... Verse 10, he says, likewise, they say there's joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents." This convicts me as a Christian. When we have people get saved, one of the things that really struck me when I got saved at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, back in 1995, one of the things that they did at that church that I love so much, when I walked forward, my heart pounding, tears running down my face, uh, my life was over and just beginning all at the same time in my head. And yet I knew it was all worth it. I said, Lord, I just want to be saved. I don't want to go to hell. I want to be forgiven of all the sins. People clapped. A thunderous crowd of like 3,000 people clapping. And not just for me, but everyone that walked forward. And uh, it just struck me. I didn't know at the time that, that these verses speak of the joy that takes place in heaven. But I think as Christians, I see us as believers, we'll get so excited about things that aren't that important. And you'll tell some Christian, you know, someone got saved uh, at the youth correctional facility. Oh, that's great. That's not the way heaven reacts to this news. Heaven throws a party and earth says, what's on TV at eight? Isn't that something wrong with that picture? If Jesus has given us a window's eye view, he says, this is a marvelous thing that's taking place in heaven every single time. And this is happening all over the world. So already while we've been sitting here. As quiet as we can be, at, at certain points you laughed, and that was great. Heaven's been rejoicing numerous times because a lot of people got saved while we were hit, sitting here. Somewhere on planet Earth, people had given their lives to cry. Heaven just const, nonstop breaking out into celebration. Not celebrating who's going to win tonight's baseball game. Not celebrating that uh, your kid won the gymnastics meet this weekend. No, no disrespect if they did that. But I'm just saying that these aren't as big a deal in heaven. One sinner, Paul called himself the chief of sinners. In Luke 10, 20, remember Jesus said this back in tension, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. If there's one marvelous fact, we don't seem to understand how marvelous it is that we've been saved by grace. I don't understand it, do you? I mean, I understand it a little bit, and then I'll forget what I understand, and I have to re-remember what I understand. What I remember I understand, it's still not near as deep as I want to understand. Does that make sense, or did I thoroughly confuse you? Hopefully you get where I'm coming from. Revelation 19, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is a marvelous thing. This is why set, the angels rejoice. and they're going to join us here. They're going to be here soon. They're leaving Chesterfield County someday for a permanent citizenship, not in 23236 zip code, but heaven zip code. Permanently. Isn't that great? John Bunyan says, Christ is the desire of nations, the joy of angels, the delight of the Father. What uh, what solace then must that soul be filled with that has possession of of him to all eternity. That should give us some joy, folks. That gives heaven some joy. Jesus has great love and puts great value on one single soul. Amen? I hope and pray that we start to see one single soul as important as God does. And if someone gets saved, we need to start rejoicing. Amen? Send send email blasts for that. I get email blasts for things that are not that important. Don't you? That's the kind of stuff that should be viral. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your love for just one. We thank you for sending your one and only begotten son to die on a cross. And you shed your blood, Jesus, not because we had done a few Not so good things, but Lord, be because our nature, we were children of wrath. We were born into sin. And you came to redeem and to seek and save that which is lost, namely all of us. And Lord, I just thank you for turning my life around and turning me to you, the faithful shepherd. Lord, writing my personal name in your land's book of life. And Lord, all of my brothers and sisters that are here, I know they share the same love and appreciation for the salvation they've received. And Lord, we pray that you would give us the compassion for those that are lost that we don't have. Even our, uh, even our safe condition, we still find, as Paul talked about, that war that is in us, the flesh, where sometimes we just don't care like we know we should. And we want to care. We want to care about each lost coin, each lost sheep. We want to care about even those that, Lord, are very unlovable. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us the same eyes that you had that would leave the 99 in good hands and go find those that are lost. Give us hearts of compassion that we would have the heart of the Father that so loved the world to send his Son.